Good morning. You guys are extra chatty. I love when you're extra chatty. You know why? Because that means you're awake and you'll sing and you'll amen and all those things. How's everybody doing today? I don't know about you, but I am so excited for what's to come at ECCN, aren't you? This is a very important day for us, a very sacred moment in our church, and I am ready for worship this morning. So I just have a couple of housekeeping things before we get to it, okay? Um, in the back, you'll notice we have a basket, and that is anything that you need to correspond to the office, you can put in that basket along with your tithes and offerings. Um, of course, we accept tithe and offering online, too, if you forgot your checkbook. Uh, annual church elections are today. You'll be hearing a little bit more about that uh, later on. And then also, um, I think we still need nursery workers. I don't see it in here, but I'm just going to say it anyways. If you or um, anyone in your home is thinking about maybe a ministry to serve in, you know, be praying about that. We need nursery workers and children's workers and youth workers and, you know, our, there's... The youth are the future of our church, and they're so important, so we don't want that area to be lacking. Amen? All right. Um, I'm going to do something, and I hope it doesn't embarrass you both, but if I could have Pastor Mike and Kenna come up here. She's looking at me like, please don't. <laughs> but we just can't let you both go without telling you uh, how much you are appreciated. And I don't know if a lot of you know this, but they drive every single week from Mount Vernon. That's a hike. Uh, just to be here and to fill in the gap until we find a new pastor. And we are so appreciative of you both. And I, th I just think it's so cool that you kind of started here and you're ending here. Like how many pastors can say that? That's pretty awesome. So everyone, uh, please uh, give them your thanks. And, and Thank you. And this is for you both. And I have a vase of flowers there, and don't worry, I have a box for you to take them home in. So thank you. Yes. Yeah, let's turn him. I think you do. It's been a joy to be a part of this church again. And to get acquainted with some of you for the first time, and some of you again, over after many years, I've one of our paths have crossed many times, for those of you who knew me way back and and so forth. But uh, for the last, uh, since 2003, uh, I have, and Ken and I have been traveling, and we are almost every week in a different church. When, and we joined a church uh, in Mount Gilead uh, after our daughter went to college because the pastor there and I had been on, had been pastors together at the church for six years, and we never went there. Uh, we just never went there. In fact, every time we go there, they, they have to say, who are you and where are you from? So it was really fun to just kind of end our, our time as a pastor with somebody that we know. Now that was a real blessing because uh, you just, you just uh, you don't know what it's like to not have a church, even though you're in the church, and we were in the church all the time, but it's been... Uh, a long time since we have actually been able to just sit down with people who we know and worship with them. And uh, what's going to happen for us is we're, we're moving to Florida to a place called the Villages, and they have 45 golf courses that I will get acquainted with all of them, if possible. Uh, and she will after she takes golf lessons, yeah. 
but we're gonna we're gonna do something different. We're not for the first time since we we start we got engaged in October of uh, 1975, and in September of 1975 we started in ministry together as youth pastors at a Methodist church in Fredericktown, and we've done this thing together for a long time, but we're gonna switch places, and we're really looking forward to it. We're looking forward to being uh, in a community where we're not the pastor, we're not in, in, in any position where anybody would know us as a pastor, and we just get to be Christ and to whoever we live by and whoever crosses our path, and we're excited about that. But it's been good to close this kind of time with you. Do you have anything you want to say? There's a... well, it's been great to be here, and what an absolute treat to be a part of a church family that used to be our church family. Yeah. And that sounds a little bit strange, but um, when Mike had contacted me and said that Wendell Brown called him and asked him if he would be willing to come to Elyria for a while, he says, what do you think about that? I said, I think that sounds awesomely cool, let's go. <laughs> so um, we did and it's been fun and it's been great to kind of conclude where uh, we were um, part of in our 20s we really were in our 20s one time. <laughs> That's been a long time ago. But um, anyway, it's been great to be here, and it's just been really fun to be a part of your church family and to see friends that we knew from those days long past yeah. and new friends that have come in in the meantime and everybody in between. And so it's just been a great part, great part of our lives to be a part of this church again. All right. Thank you. Thank you both again so much for filling in the gap. We'll be praying for your retirement years and that they'll be fruitful in your ministry, whatever that might look like. Let's all stand and prepare our hearts for worship this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have of being here to worship you this morning. May your Holy Spirit be here, Lord, with us today. Guide us as we make a very important decision today. And we give you all of the praise and the glory today. Amen. Amen. Well, if you look up here, you might see somebody new. Look over there. There's Luke Peters. So we're really happy that he's, uh, that he's on uh, the praise team. All right. You ready to worship? All right. Let's go.
song for you here that we're going to um, introduce, and you've probably heard it. Probably heard it on the radio, but I love it because we don't have to fear if we're standing in the love of Christ. tries to bug us and give us all that stuff that we don't need to have because God said it and all we have to do is trust him and we don't need to fear 
that song. And we do have much, much more to do. And uh, I love, this is one of my favorite hymns, It Is Well With My Soul. And that's what will happen today. Amen?
we want to re- receive new members into the church this morning. And uh, there will be four people who are joining, but uh, a few of them, only one of them is going to be able to be here today. The Mativias are joining, but uh, they had to take their son, I think, to uh, the urgent care center today. And so uh, I'm going to, since I don't see Kyle here yet, okay, he had to work today. That's what I was thinking. Okay, so I'm going to do this a little bit different because the one that's here is Grace Elano, and I'd like Grace to come and stand up here if she could, but I'm not going to let her stand alone. Come up here, Grace. Uh, I mean, she's 12 years old, and she's a very mature 12-year-old, and she has, she has a wonderful voice for a, for a teenager, just outstanding. But I would like uh, some teen workers or maybe Sunday school teachers who have had Grace and been a part of her life, if you would come and stand up here with her. And I think that would be very good. All right. And so let's, you guys can stand in front of me. You won't have to look at them. You can just look at me, Grace. You can stand right out here. And I'm going to, and you guys can turn around and face me then. You'll be great. I'm not going to make you look at them. You guys can do here too. I'm going to get my notes because I don't have this memorized, even though I've had the privilege of going through this many times. And I'm going to be reading this to grace, but it's also to everybody who's ever made a commitment to join a church as a member. It says, uh, Dearly beloved, the privileges and blessings that we have in community in the Church of Jesus Christ, they are sacred and they are precious. There's in this place such hallowed fellowship and care and counsel as cannot be found anywhere apart from the family of God. There's the godly care of pastors, the teaching of the word, the inspiration of worship, and there's cooperation in service. There's accomplishing what cannot be done by ourselves, but can only be done as we're a part of a church. And so today, and I've gone over all these with grace and others, but today we're going to affirm our doctrines and practices. So let me just kind of read through this. We believe in one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe that Human beings are born in sin, that they need the work of forgiveness through Christ and the new birth by the Holy Spirit. We believe that subsequent to this, there's this deeper work of heart cleansing or entire sanctification. Through the infilling of the Holy Spirit, we are able to give our all and receive God's all. We believe that our Lord will return. We don't know when. I remember as as long as I've been part of the church, it always seemed like it was soon. But we do know he's coming. The dead will be raised, and all shall come to final judgment with its rewards and punishments. So, Grace, do you heartily believe these truths? If so, say, I do. All right? And do you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And do you believe that he saves you now? If so, answer, I do. I've got five questions of commitment, and you're the only one that gets to answer, but the rest of you get to listen in and remember your answers to these commitments. Desiring to unite with the Church of the Nazarene, and you can answer all these at the end. You don't have to answer them one at a time. Desiring to unite with the Church of the Nazarene, do you commit to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, your mind, and your strength, and your neighbor as yourself? Do you commit to the mission of God 
as expressed in the doctrine, the fellowship, and the work of the Church of the Nazarene. Will you support the teachings of the Church of the Nazarene and strive with God's help to grow in your understanding and practice of the same in a way that enhances the witness of this church? Will you endeavor in every way to glorify God by a humble walk and godly conversation and holy service, by giving of yourself and your resources, and by faithfully participating in sharing God's grace? Will you follow Jesus Christ all the days of your life, abstain from all evil, and seek earnestly to perfect holiness of heart and life in the fear of the Lord? If you can make these commitments, will you respond by saying, I will? I want to welcome you to the Church of Nazarene. This is a great group, and this particular church is a really good group too. Not just the Church of Nazarene, but the Church of Nazarene is much larger than when I was your pastor, I would have said, at the corner of Gulf and Ohio. But I don't know what the road is out there. So here on Clemson Street, it's bigger than the church on Clemens Street. It's worldwide. And you're part of a fellowship that's even broader than the Church of the Nazarene, and that's the church of God that goes all over the place. And we want to welcome you. And so I want to, yes, welcome her. Thank, uh, give her a hand. Now stay right there. I'm, what's that? Oh, it's on my tablet. Yeah. Okay, there it is. Thank you. And it's good to, it's good to be a part of this and to share with this. These folks have evidently walked with you in different places and done different things. And Grace, I don't know you as well as they do, but there's a lot of people talking good things about you. They say a lot of good things about you. So glad to have you as part of this church. Thank you. Now Grace will be a new member of the church, but she won't be old enough to vote in the pastoral election today. And uh, she'll have to wait and hopefully uh, she'll be a lot older before you vote for another pastor. Uh, but let me just kind of read some things from the, the manual, bits and pieces of the manual, which is our, our governing doctrine and book of doctrine and policies. It says that an ordained elder or a licensed minister may be called to pastor a church by two-thirds favorable vote of the ballot of church members, 15 years of age and older, who are present at a vote that has been properly called, and that nomination also has to be approved prior to this day by the district superintendent, which it is. The individual shall have been nominated to the church by the church board by two-thirds votes by a ballot, which they have done. They have, they have done that, and they have nominated Scott Eastburn to you as a pastor. But then it says, and this is where people always wonder, uh, how come we don't know what's going to happen? Well, the manual says that the acceptance of a call to, if a call is given by a church, the, the minister has 15 days from today to let you know that decision. Give them a chance to pray and think and uh, just kind of seek God's guidance like we have been doing. And so we're going to vote in just a few minutes. But I, um, I ask for this to be a part of, not a part of the annual elections, but to be part of something in our worship service. The annual elections are important, but you get to do that annually. You get to do that often. You haven't done this in 18 years. And I wanted it to be in a moment when we could pause and pray, 
seek God's will, seek God's desire. After I left here, I learned something that I probably knew. And I learned it when I left an established church and started a church and planted a church. And there were times when I took a lot of ownership of that church, a lot of burdens. And, and somewhere in that time, God taught me a lesson that I've never forgot. Because I would, I would just feel the pressure. This is my church. I started. I got to do all this. And God reminded me one day, it's not your church. And this is not your church. It's God's. And so we're seeking his will. So we're going to pray, and then I'll give you some instructions. Father, we are seeking your will. And there's a lot of the city that needs to hear about you. We're seeking your direction for an age that is going to be different in the next five years than it's ever been before. We don't know how the church is going to change because of COVID. We don't know how people are going to change because of their isolation and their, all the things that come with that. But you're, you're going to be there to guide us, and we ask that you will guide the church in this decision today. Amen. Now, you, this will be a, a vote, a yes and no ba- a ballot uh, for Pastor Scott Eastburn. Uh, black ballots will not be counted. Uh, they just, it's got to be a yes or no, and it'll be simply check the yes or check the no. If you need a pen, the, those who are passing out the ballots will give you a pen, and you can keep it. Uh, and not just because it's COVID, but you can keep it and use it to vote in the annual elections after church. They're set up around the table, around outside and things like that, so you can do that. But if you, are, if you do not know for sure that you are a member of the Illyria Church of the Nazarene, if you can't say, yeah, I know, I know, I remember that. I, I did something like Grace right there in front of all the folks of the Illyria Church of Nazarene, then please, please don't vote. If you're not sure, just, just please don't vote. And uh, what I'm going to do now is I would like for the people who are helping me distribute the ballots to come forward. And if you are a member of this church, age 15 years of age and older, I would like you to stand and stay standing until you receive a ballot, and then you can be seated And then uh, don't vote yet. It's just a simple yes or no, but I'd like to make sure everybody has a ballot before we vote. And so go ahead and stay standing until you receive a ballot. And then you can be seated and and don't vote yet. Just wait a second. I'd like to to just kind of wait until everybody has the ballot before we vote. And you can be seated as soon as you receive your ballot. And if you need a pen, be sure and tell them. They've got them. The reason we have you stand, obviously, is because we want to know if we walk by you. (laughs) I see the Hogan's here, a sea of loneliness of of people sitting down. They're coming back. (laughs) I have, uh, I, sometimes I I think I'm the most uh, unrecognized, or maybe everybody else looks just like me or something, but I've stood, you know, finally I said, hey, hey, I'm about, oh yeah, there's somebody over here. We'll get back to you. We really will. We got somebody up here, too, it looks like. I think they're close. (laughs) They're getting right up behind you. There you go. And if you need a pen or anything.
thin. We are blessed with Nancy. All right. Now you can go ahead and cast your ballot and just yes or no, and then um, we'll give everybody a chance to do that. Now what's going to happen is we're going to tell you the results of the uh, of the election at after the service at the end of the service, and uh, one of the reasons we're doing that is because. Um, that 15 days that a pastor has, we want that to be uh, something between them and God. And when it becomes between them and God and their congregation, if the vote is good and they accept it, then we'll, we'll put it out on our Facebook and on our website. But uh, we, uh, we won't be mount announcing the results until the end of the service so it can be edited out of the service that goes online. And uh, we're just keeping it safe because whoever heard of online, you know, all that years ago, you just, one day, oh, I won't even want to say what I was going to say. It, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. It wasn't a good joke then. It's not a good joke now. Okay, so if our helpers will come back and you can pass the ballots to a side or somebody, we will collect these. They're going to go out among the people who are with children and things like that now, and they will offer them a chance to cast a ballot also. Just hold it up if you, so you can see where we're at. While they're doing that, I'll just go ahead and start on my sermon. Um, when I went to Kenneth's house for the very first time, her dad said to me, after I'd been there for a few hours, it's a real experience to live here all the time. And uh, I heard him say that dozens of times. In fact, my father-in-law had these little sayings that he would say, and when, when he passed, uh, we just had people tell some of them. Um, we're off like a herd of turtles is another one. Uh, every, everybody has things that you're saying a lot. You know, uh, the, most, the most used word right now at our home is what? And the most used phrase at our house right now is, I don't remember. And so maybe you have some things like that that you say often. But in our family, there were some other things that we said a lot. Um, Ken and I made a commitment that early on, before we had any children, and that we were going to tell our kids every day that we loved them, and we did, and we still do, and, and our 42-year-old and our 31-year-old, <laughs> and each other. We say that every day. But there's been some other words that we also say around our house a lot. I'm sorry. Forgive me. And the reason we try to say those things is because we want to keep a relationship open. You do the same. Because you know and I know that what we say can impact our relationship with people. But have you ever thought about the fact that what we say can also impact our relationship with God? The, way, the things we talk about can impact our relationship with God. Um, for example, our faith can be affected by how we talk about problems. Our faith can be impacted by how we talk about problems. And 
I decided to do a Bible study once on the word problem because I had a dear lady uh, who was a wonderful lady, but she was not part of this congregation ever, but she could have been. And she, she was a wonderful lady, but at some point she had started, she had started referencing the word problem. It was just a, a word that she repeated a lot in her life. And uh, I got curious one day, and I, I looked up the word problem. I did a search in a concordance. In the King James Version, the word problem is not in the King James Version at all. And it's only used three times in the New International Version. And the first time was uh, in Deuteronomy when, when Moses, who had inherited this leadership of these, these hundreds of thousands of people, and he was the guy who had to make all the decisions, and he said in Deuteronomy, how can I bear your problems and bear your burdens and your disputes all by myself? All right? And then the next two times were both in the book of Daniel. And one time someone was talking about Daniel to the king, and, and they said, this man Daniel, he was found to have the ability to solve difficult problems. And then later on in Daniel, the king was talking to Daniel, and he said, I've heard that you're able to solve difficult problems. So why does the Bible talk so little about problems? You see, there's a difference between problems and trials. In trials, we don't even think about solving them. We can't figure out what to do. It's bigger than us, and we're drawn towards God. But problems, we tend to carry on our own shoulders, and we tend to feel like we have to take care of it. And so we don't talk to God as much about problems as we do trials. In fact, we worry about problems. And in trials, we run to God. Uh, the truth is, the Bible is a record of the relationship between God and his people, from Genesis to Revelation. And, and, in, in, and I'm just surmising this. I'm just kind, of in, just kind of projecting this. That's why I think we don't hear so much about problems. The word problem is not even a part of the Bible very much. Because this is a record of relationship between God and his people. And, and in problems, we just, we get focused on them, but we tend to just talk about them and we put God over here. It's just not, he's not, it's not, it's not there at all. Jesus said uh, to somebody, what's the, they asked him, what's the most important commandment? And he said what? Love your neighbor and love God. Those are the two most important things. Those are all about a relationship. And that's what the Bible is. It's a story. You know, people like to make the Bible into a book about science because of creation. And others like to make it into a book about history because of the different things it tells us about the history. And some will make it a theology book. But do you know that, that science and history and theology are not anything, they're not bad, but they're not at all the way people thought about life when the Bible was written. It was a record of a relationship. And problems are not part of the Bible because that tends to put God on the shelf. We've got to solve our own problems. So when we focus a lot on problems, and I'm going to come back to this later on, it also impacts our faith. So that's where I'm going today. And you can't talk about how faith impacts our faith without talking about faith. 
So I'm going to give you a definition of faith. It's the only definition of faith in the Bible. You have probably seen it before. And uh, we're going we're to repeat it together in a little bit. I'll, I'll read it first. This is Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now, I want you to read that with me. And um, you don't have to put the emphasis on it that I just did. You don't have to go certain and sure. But read it with me. Are you ready? On the count of three. Three, two, one. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now, do you think you got that memorized? Let's try it one more time. Because in a minute, we're going to turn the screens off. (laughs) Not yet. And uh, we're, in a minute, we're going to turn the screens off. You can go backwards or forward, I don't care, but we're going to turn the screens off in a minute. So let's say it together again. Three, two, one. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now, take it off the screen. There we go. And I'm not even going to join you this time. I've got it in front of me, so it wouldn't be fair. Have you got it in your mind? All right. Three, two, one. Well, I couldn't understand a word you said, but I think you got it right. Much of faith comes down to whether life is dependent on me or life is dependent on God. That's what faith comes down to. Do I have to figure it out or do I turn to him? Um, Both of my parents, neither one of my parents were raised in a Christian home. Um, My mom actually came to Christ, and then later her mom came to Christ. Um, There was, uh, in in, in our family, there was a lot of uh, generational dysfunction. And my parents were the first ones to come to Christ. And God really changed their lives. uh, And they really made an impact on them. and, And they just kept getting more and more like Christ. But there were things that that they passed on that they didn't even intend to pass on. And one of the things that was somewhat of a part of my family, not as much as it was a part of their families, was this this idea of can't, can't, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. And I remember distinctly one time just about three or four years before I moved here, I was a very young pastor and uh, in Doylestown, Ohio, which is not far, and I felt like I was, I was limiting God. And so I, I took Kenna and Ben to my parents, and I got in their camper, and I spent a week reading the Bible, reading some books, trying to change my perspective on God. Because I, I found myself as a young pastor trying to feel like it's all, I have to take care of this, it's my church. And, I, and I just wasn't, it just wasn't working very well. And God gave me something then that he's been building on and building on and building on ever since then. It's not positive thinking, it's belief in God. And faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we cannot see. So <clears throat> the first thing there, faith is being sure of what we hope for. When you're sure of something, you're confident enough to build on it. Uh, some of you probably saw this foundation being built here. It's, it's probably out there, it's under you, it's all around. I, I've never seen this foundation. But I'm, I'm pretty confident 
and pretty sure that it's going to hold up. I don't have to see it. I didn't have to be there. I'm just sure it's going to hold up. So faith is being sure of what we hope for. I hope it holds up. I'm not even worried about it. I'm confident. I'm, I'm just, it's going to hold up. And that's what faith is. Faith is the foundation of our hope. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. When something is so strong that we can build our lives on it, we don't always question it. We don't always think, it's going to fail, it's going to fall, it's going to not happen, it's not going to work. We just say, faith is sure of what we hope for. So what do you think people hope for? I really believe there's one thing that people hope for, and everybody hopes for it. I think people want to make a difference in life. I see that in, in secular literature. I see that in, even in news stories. I think people sometimes get the wrong idea of how to make something good happen. And they try to make something bad and think it's good. But they're, it's coming from the same hope. Everybody hopes that they can make a difference. Now, that's good because Jesus said to us, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And, he, and faith is being sure of what we hope for, and we hope that we can have a full life, and a full life is not money. People who have lots of money have empty lives too. People who have no money have full lives also. It doesn't matter how much money you have, and you and I know that the fullest life possible is through faith in Jesus Christ. I have come that they have, may have a full life. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. But there's a second part of this definition of faith. Faith is being certain of what we do not see. Faith is being certain of what we do not see. So faith is the proof beyond doubt of what we do not see. Um, I have, <clears throat> this probably won't surprise you at all, I have never been to the moon. I have never been, I've never stepped foot on the moon. But I grew up in the era of moonshots and the Apollo landings, and there was a time when on a Sunday night we gathered around the black and white TV because, well, we only had a black and white TV, but everything was in black and white because it was on the moon. And, uh, there, and, and there was a fellow Ohioan who put it, you know, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. And somebody landed on the moon. And I didn't realize until years later there's a whole bunch of people who didn't believe it. I've never been to the moon, but I believe they landed on the moon. In fact, if you go out and, and you talk about um, conspiracy theory on, on Google, conspiracy theories on the original moon landing, they're still out there. I was within 100 feet of the guys who were in that, in that first landing. Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, Mike Collins. I was within 100 feet of them. And I never thought to doubt this didn't really happen. It's just a big show. I didn't see it myself. Faith is being sure. Faith is being certain of what we do not see. I didn't see it myself. I didn't put my foot down. But I never thought it wasn't true. So I ask you, what is it that everybody hopes for? Now I'm going to ask you, what is the one thing no one has ever seen? The one thing no one has ever seen. God? I, um, I learned this from my grandpa. He was a jokester. 
and he was a security guard at a high school in Chicago. And there was a custodian there, and he would say to the custodian, hey, tomorrow I'll help you with your job. And um, the next day, the guy came, and he says, hey, Walt, you're going to help? And my grandpa said, I said tomorrow. And that went on for a few days, and finally he said, don't you know tomorrow never comes? Because when it gets here, it's today. And the one thing that no one has ever seen is tomorrow. We all have times when we, when we think we know what's coming tomorrow. And when it gets here, it's nothing at all like we anticipated. Right? Sometimes it's really bad. And sometimes it's really good. But faith is being, is being certain of what we do not see. Now, if tomorrow is the one thing we haven't seen, the one person that we know who's going to be there tomorrow is God. How many times have your tomorrows turned out so dark when the day before was so bright and you got there and you turned to God? Faith is being certain of what we cannot see. Uh, There's a verse in Philippians. It says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. There's a, a song that my brother used to sing. I, nobody ever invited me to sing a special song. Nobody ever mentioned that to me. Uh, but my brother, both brothers, were very musical. My mom, very musical. They could play multiple instruments. Dad and I could play the radio, play the CD, things like that, but we couldn't sing. But there was a song that he sang, and I'm not going to sing it for you, but if you know this, I'm going to let you finish the words for me, okay? This was an old gospel song that he sang. I'm not going to sing it. I'm just going to say it. And then when I go like this, it's, it's your turn. It went like this. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand. But I know who holds tomorrow. That's faith is being certain of what we do not see. But there's a battle for our faith, and it's our talk. It's the things that we talk about. You could even call it our trash talk. Uh, in James, it says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, <clears throat> and with it, We curse men who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursings. My brother, this should not be. Now, this cursing is something that is not common to our culture in the way that it was back when this was written. This is not swearing at somebody. This is a curse. Now, let's say that somebody really didn't like me, and we were a culture that that believed in curses, a curse that they might put on me would be, I wonder if this happened. May all your golf balls slice. I wonder if I've been cursed. You see what I'm saying? What you're, a curse is you're hoping for something not good to happen to somebody. 
And so don't think that curses aren't a real part of our life, even though we don't officially call them curses. Because there's a real possibility that sometimes somebody frustrates us or we just get upset with somebody, and we secretly or maybe openly hope that something goes wrong in their life. That's the curse it's talking about. So what Christ is saying is, real simple, my brothers, don't do that. Oh, we can add sisters in too. It's the same. Don't do that. Don't praise me and wish for the worst in somebody else's life. So let's talk about faith talk and doubt talk. Faith talk and problem talk. In faith talk, you and I make a decision to look for what's right in people's lives, not what's wrong. Do you know that you find what you expect to find? And if you expect to find the wrong, you will. If you expect to find the right, you will. So speak about the right. Speak, not, don't speak about the wrong. In, in fact, you, the way to say this is, remember the best and forget the rest. That's where faith talk is really at. I'm going to remember the best about God. I'm going to forget the times that I failed him. I know he's forgiven me. I'm glad for that. But I'm not going to dwell on what I did wrong. God's forgiven me. I'm going forward in faith. Or the person who has hurt you, offended you, overlooked you, uh, misunderstood you. I'm going to think about the times they did this thing and this thing and this thing. Remember the best. Forget the rest. All, all of the things that I do impact, all the things I say impact my faith with Christ. Um, there was a, a guy in the church that I pastored, and he, uh, I, I, I might have mentioned this. I'm not sure if I did or not, because... It's a great story, but they had a cuss cup. Did I ever talk to you about the cuss cup since we've been here? Uh, they, it wasn't really a cuss cup. It was a cuss gallon pickle jar. And uh, anytime somebody in the office swore, uh, they had to put a quarter in the cuss cup. And when it got full, they'd have a party. Um, How much money would we raise for Faith Promise next week, which is the beginning of Faith Promise next week? How much money would we raise for Faith Promise next week if I gave each of you a doubt cup? In fact, you just take a piece of tape and write on it, doubt cup. And if you put a quarter in there, every time this week you spoke in doubt about life, about politicians, about neighbors, about employers, about your spouse, about your kids, about your in-laws, about the pastor who just spoke last Sunday, me, not the other one. I'm, this Sunday is last Sunday, if I'm not talking about next Sunday, okay? <laughs> you don't have anything to speak about. You, you, might, you might not like this message today, but if you don't, and you put a cup in there, a quarter in the cup, how big of a start would we get on faith promise with a quarter for every time we spoke in doubt this week? I don't know, but it's a habit that we get into. And my point is, that habit, the problems, the difficulties, we set God on the sideline. We just love to complain about it. And if God speaks pretty direct to us, in fact, in James, he said, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. <laughs> I think if we stopped and listened for him, to him, he would say, don't talk that way. There's another old song. Um, 
that I learned in third grade, I think maybe first grade, and I think it ought to be the theme song of the church. And if you know this old song, then I'll point to you and you can finish it. I'm not going to sing it. I'm just going to say it. It went like this. Home, home on the range, where the deer and the antelope play, where seldom is heard. Ah, you've heard that song. That should be the theme song of the church in our lives. Where seldom is heard a discouraging word. I don't know who wrote that song, because cowboy songs were really big when I was in grade school. Maybe Roy Rogers wrote it. I'll give credit to Roy Rogers. But whoever it was understood exactly what I'm talking to you about today. The power of not speaking discouraging words. Why? Why do we have to speak discouraging words? Our God gives us hope. Our God is with us every place we go. So why would we, why would we speak discouraging words? God's well, because we got in the habit of it, maybe. Or maybe we didn't even realize we were. Our faith is impacted by what we say. And in a negative way, and what we say in a good way. Our faith, our heart, our mind is directly connected to our relationship with God. I'd like the worship team to come. And then after... The worship team will share the results of the pastoral election. All right, if you'll stand with us, we're going to do our new song again. So let's sing that together. When 
is my mic on?